What's good, y'all? Welcome back to the WIL Take Ownership Podcast, where we're all about taking ownership of your mental, your economics, and your community. I'm joined today by Brandon Andrews. Say what's up. Hey, what's up, everybody? <laughs> and Rosanna Anil. Hey. Hey, what's good? We got a dope show lined up for you guys. You know, as we always do, we hit you guys with the current events, what's happening right now. Get to understand Brandon and Rosanna's point of view on certain things, and then we'll jump into equity and entrepreneurship today. Uh, you know, people in color that are doing big things in business, and what does that look like for the future as we enter 2020? Uh, so let's get started. Uh, first and foremost, I mean, have you guys been following this whole thing around Duchess of Sussex, uh, you know, Meghan Markle, Prince Harry, them moving to North America? And if so, what are your what are your thoughts on it? I, I think I'm like a lot of people in that I don't really care anything about the royals at all. <laughs> uh, and even when Meghan Markle was becoming a princess and the whole marriage, like I saw it and I appreciated it because you know she is from the community. But I also I, I you know I just didn't really care all that much. I feel like I got better things to do with my time. However, I do think that this separation that them choosing to live their own lives and this whole palace intrigue of as they live their own lives potentially being more popular than the official royal family sure. who you know still have their official duties i think it's really intriguing um i still think a lot of us have better things to do than follow them um but i do think it's it's, it's super interesting and I, I, it's just you you always think or you want to think that we're farther along than we are, mm -hmm. but then you see the kind of tabloid headlines right. that have been put out about Meghan Markle over the past couple of years, and it's like, who would want to put up with that? Right, right. And as, as a woman of color, Rosanna, like, you know, in watching that, right, the tabloids have been kind of merciless when it's come to how they've uh, talked about Meghan Markle, talked about their child, all kinds of things on the way. Um, you know, what what is that? How does that make you feel? Like, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, I think when you get into a relationship like that with a man like that, you 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 may have thought about these things before. And I think like that's something really to consider. Like, am I ready to take on this lifestyle? Because now she's come into this position and she could potentially do, you know, she has the power to do some things. Um, I also respect her decision to step back and, 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 you know, Harry's decision to step back with her. Like... It's not easy to do that as a you know as a man to to make that step for your woman, um, you know I feel very much like you in the sense I really don't care. But if I have to have an opinion, you know, I, I would have wanted her to stay. Mm, okay. Um, so do you? And this is not necessarily my opinion, but just asking for conversation. Mm -hmm. Do you think that this is? weakness on Meghan Markle's part? Do you no. think she couldn't cut it as no. a royal and so I th now I th she's I think it takes back? incredible strength to make that decision because mm -hmm. you're going to be scrutinized like a lot afterwards. Mm -hmm. So um, I respect her completely for making that decision. Mm -hmm. um, just maybe it's like, you know, the go-getter in me, the cap in me. Like I'm yeah. just like, you know, stay there and do something. Make some noise. Yeah. Do, yeah. do something. Do something. You right, know what I right, mean? Yeah. Um, but I also respect her decision because it takes a lot of courage to do something like that. Yeah. And then for him to like just be riding with her, like it takes a lot yeah, to do yeah. that. Yeah. Well, and, you know, he saw how his mom was treated by the tabloids and everything um, as a kid growing up. Um, you know, I think that's a very interesting point of view on it. Like, you know, for you, what's the what's the reasoning behind thinking, you know, they should have stayed? I mean, she fell in love with him, right? You can't help who you fall in love with. But to some degree, you do have to, like, think about what may be required of you entering in, you know, that realm, sure, sure. so to speak. Um 
I feel like whether you like it or not to some degree, because I try to stay out of like politics and things like that, but you know, with the way the current climate is with people of color and what we're doing, like, you know, if you have an opportunity to, you know what I mean? Right, like, right. it's it's hard to, like, verbalize it because, you know, I'm sure there's women out there who are going to be like, ah, like, you know, about what I'm saying. But that's just me. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I have a voice. I'm using it now. We're talking about it now. Um, that That's the only reason why I feel that way. But I also understand and, and, and respect people's need to just be like, look, I want a different quality of life. Mm-hmm. Because to some degree, I've done that within my own life. Okay. Now, it's been it's been interesting for me to watch. I, I, I personally um, just cynically enjoyed uh, her approach. Like, you know, I think she's been very candid about, you know, how she's felt about the, t- the coverage. Um, so is Prince Harry. Um, and, you know, even apparently he's been like kind of excommunicating from some of his friends who haven't really stepped up or have treated her a certain way. Mm-hmm. I, I think one, one thing that's interesting about Meghan Markle that we can all see is that she's always been someone who's very empathetic um, and, and very self-aware. Mm-hmm. And so when I when I see things like the decision to move to North America, mostly Canada, but split time in the, in the U.S., I think that was more semantics. Like, I think you say Canada because it's, it's a softer blow than the U.S. It, mm-hmm. They couldn't come out and say we're moving to the U.S. It's right, not a thing. Right, right, right. Um, but I think from that from that vantage point, and even her not going back to have that meeting with the with the queen, it was like, no, I'm just gonna call in. Um, I think there was a way she was being treated internally that she didn't sign, like she didn't co-sign, and wanted to prove a point by how then she then you know um, operated thereafter. Um, and I think if there's one thing that hurts, I think white folks like feelings in this whole thing, especially like just people from you know Great Britain, it's. To say that this isn't that deep, kind of coming back to your point, you know, and and you kind of echoed it too of like, you know, not getting embroiled in all the politics of it and how deep, you know, the queen and king, all that kind of stuff is. But like the fact that she would say, you know, this is dope. And I did it for a little bit and no, nah, it's not that dope. Like that. Yeah, I'm just, I'm always surprised like, by the amount of airtime the Today Show, for example, you know gives to royal stuff not even and even even when there's not like particular controversy but just you know somebody i don't know tripped over a rock or something in the royal family and today show and you know other not just today show but um, other news media around the world they just like break their necks to cover it and i just don't think it really matters all that much but i guess that's part of the fact that they're royalty that they can command this kind of attention uh, just because they exist, right, which right. you know maybe shouldn't be that way, but you know it is. It is what it is. I'm, I'm interested to know what you think. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think their prospects are moving forward mm-hmm. of being completely independent? Do you think they can become financially independent? Do you think she's going to go back and go back into acting? Do you think Harry's going to uh, do something? else you know start a business i i, I don't know what do, what do you think they're gonna do going so, forward so there's that that cool clip with um with where they're running they run into jay-z and beyonce i forgot what the event was mm-hmm. but um you hear prince harry talking to bob Iger, ceo of disney mm-hmm. saying you know megan has great voiceover skills xyz mm-hmm. and you know now she just signed some multi-million dollar deal to do voiceovers for disney it's like they had all this planned out before i think they ever stepped away um, you know, I know he gets some kind of like, you know, annual salary from being with the the family. There's so much land and stuff in their names. I don't think it gets transferred to him now because they've 
technically step back. Mm-hmm. And what's the, what's the wax museum, Madame Tussauds? Tussauds, yeah. yeah. How they removed them. <laughs> it's real out there. It's really real. They're still super famous, though. So right. I feel like they still qualify to be in Madame Tussauds more than like some other people. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. So I don't know yet what he'll do. Like, what, what's going to be his thing in terms of generating income? I think he'll be. I think he'll be fine. I think they'll both be fine. Like. Um, but they're you know, smart. They have a team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean. Someone's there. Like, all right, we've already put money into this. We're formulating this product. Great, Megan. You're gonna be like the next. You know, Martha Stewart. We're gonna do this. We're you know, like there's someone there, like working it out. You right, know what I mean? Right. I, I firmly believe that. But one thing when you were talking before that I didn't even consider was how they were treating her because obviously I can't. I'm not in that experience. Sure, I couldn't yeah. relate to that. But that is something to think about. Like if you're just you know walking about and someone is just really trying to make your life hell. Right, right. You know what I mean? You're just trying to live. I, I can understand that. Yeah. 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 Is that, yeah. That one no one should have to exist yeah. under those, under that kind of pressure, when, right. you know, with that kind of ridicule, with that kind of scrutiny. Uh, you know, even if you can do good, at some point you have to be able to live, you know, without having that kind of pressure. So, I think they're yeah. going to be okay. Yeah. It may take some time. I, I definitely, they're going to have more eyes on them now, I feel. Yeah. Yeah. But, but yeah. It, the thing that's sad to me is like, you know, it's like that whole one drop rule thing because yeah. um, she presents white, right? Like if you never, no one ever told you she was, or, or at least she doesn't, like, I think it's interesting how she's being treated just because of the fact that it's like known she's black, right? She has a black mother mm-hmm. and she wears her culture on her sleeve. And I think that that's so interesting that, you know, it gets back to the core root of like racism being based on really nothing, right? That there's no, you know, I was in South Africa over, over the holidays, and one of the key things that kept coming up was like just like race relations, obviously with apartheid. Mm-hmm. But at one point, you know, and I was reading Trevor Noah's book at the same time I was out there, mm-hmm. and he talks about it in his book, and it's talked about in real life when you're just meeting people. But at one point in apartheid, Chinese people were labeled as black because they couldn't really figure out what box to put them in. Mm-hmm. So they treated them like the black people of South Africa. But then Japanese people were labeled white because they wanted to do business with Japanese business folks. And then if, you know, but then it's like as a cop, and Trevor Noah makes a joke about this, like on the beach, if you see an Asian person, you walk up like, oh, you got to get off this beach. Oh, I'm actually Japanese. Oh, it's okay. Then you're good. It's like, sorry for my racism. <laughs> like, like, what does that really, yeah. you know what I mean? Right. Like, where does yeah. it really come from? Yeah. Like, it's, it's silly. Yeah. So I'm going to use that that point to kind of segue into um, kind of deeper, but the Iranian stuff going on, right? Um, You know, obviously, you know, Trump, um, you know, a couple weeks ago decided to order a strike, um, you know, taking out uh, Soleimani, which was like, it's effectively as powerful as their vice president, but, you know, kind of presided over a lot of their military, um, you know, efforts out in Iran. Um, But they took out, you know, an Iraqi um, person as well. and they did it at the Iraqi airport, the international airport um, in, Bag- in Baghdad, I believe. Mm-hmm. So um, what's been really interesting about that is, you know, this idea that, you know, in the midst of an impeachment, the idea of starting a war right, to, to, you know, uh, distract from. Um, but but I guess what's, what ties it into even what we were just talking about with uh, Meghan Markle and Prince Harry is this, this uh, concept of, you know, I think brown bodies not being as important uh, as white bodies, um, and that that was highlighted. I feel like when you know when when Iran retaliated and fired strikes at different bases in Iraq that U.S. Sta- stations out of as well, and no U.S. soldiers were killed. Folks were saying, um, you know, the response from, on Twitter from a lot of politicians was like, um, at least all of the U.S. soldiers are okay. 
as if the Iraq soldiers don't matter. Um, and so, you know, more so open for conversation, but what has been, you know, your thoughts? And I'll start with you, Rosanna, on this. I know you offline you're talking a little bit about it, but what, what have been your thoughts on the Iranian situation with the U.S.? So it's not that I, like, choose not to – well, I do kind of choose not to follow politics. I, it For me, it's just very low vibrational. It affects me. I, I feel in it, but it's not me trying to be ignorant. Obviously, I hear things. Like, my dad has CNN on all day long. So, like, you know what I I've mean? Been, I've been kind of echoing my dad's footsteps because he, he does that all the time, too. And in the shower, it's, like, it's like on. <laughs> you know what I mean? And you can't help but hear it. Um, you know, it definitely makes my heart hurt. You know what I mean? But, like, the Iranian people, like, they're used to being at war. This is, like, nothing for them. Like, you know, I was talking to my bestie about it, and she was like, you know, that's what they're trained to do. They do that all the time. Like, here, America, we don't know what that's like. Like, suppose someone's coming over to to, to our land. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's so low vibrational, and it's hard for me to bring myself there. Like, obviously, I don't want this for the world. I don't want anybody to experience war. You know, it's... It, the money could be allocated to so many better things. Right. That breaks my heart when I think about how much we are spending on war. And not we as a people, because I know we in this room would not do that. But it's just, it it saddens me. And honestly, I really just try to like not even participate in, in the conversations. <laughs> and then I'm here and I come to this. <laughs> <laughs> well, for, for you, Brandy, I mean, you live in D.C. You're, you know, you folks are talking about politics all the time. I think it's hard to escape it. Yeah. Um, what, what has that been like for you? Like, what are, the, what are the conversations you're hearing? I know you're pretty transient. You're constantly moving. But, like, you know, what, what have been those conversations that you've seen or been privy to? Well, it's really interesting for me, man, because originally when I moved to D.C., I worked on Capitol Hill. So right. I worked in the U.S. Senate and I actually did um, defense policy. I did foreign affairs for four or five years. And so um, I was, like, I would have potentially been in the briefing room, you know, when you know, President Trump you know, came over to give briefings to uh, to members of Congress, um, you know, for what, at, at, at a certain level, you know, I wouldn't have been able to be in, but I would have, you know, gotten some kind of briefing on it. Um, so it's been, it's been interesting to me to have that background, but then now as an entrepreneur, like I'm not disconnected from politics and policy sure. uh, because I think because I've spent so much time in it like I have friends that are running for office all the time hit me up for money <laughs> but those I gotta so. <laughs> I gotta you know I gotta have a budget for um, for political you know donations um, in addition to budgeting for other things every month which I'm which I'm happy to do because we need good people in office right. I think if there's anything that the last few years has taught us is that we can't have just anybody in there right. and expect things to work now we do have a government and we have a system we have a structure there that limits you know what one person can do but one person can still do a significant amount um you know even if they don't necessarily know how the system works the best and so um i think we we need more of us more women more people of color in office um and hopefully that will push us in the right direction going forward but on this issue in particular like this guy um was not a friend of the United States. Mm -hmm. um, he's certainly been involved in a lot of killing, Hundreds murder. Of yeah, of, of, of not just soldiers, not just U.S. soldiers, but a lot of innocent folks as well. I mean, when he was killed, he was in another country. He wasn't invited to be there, but he, right. was, but he, was, he was there plotting attacks. And so, I mean, there's definitely culpability that's there. I think um, 
you like to think that you could do this anytime mm-hmm. and that because you could do it anytime, why did Trump choose to do it now? Right. Um, I think the reality is sometimes things are a little bit more complicated than that and you kind of take your shot whenever you can get it. Um, but, you know, none of us are privy to that to, to that intelligence at this point. But I, I, I do think it's unfortunate that there was loss of life. I think it's unfortunate that... Um, our two countries are at odds. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I, I would love to see more effort put into uh, us being able to build relationships with the citizens of other countries. Right. I think mm-hmm. that citizen-to-citizen relationship, that citizen diplomacy versus the state-to-state, leadership-to-leadership mm-hmm. stuff, because no matter what country you're talking about, you can talk about Russia, you can talk about China, you can talk about Cuba, you can talk about Venezuela, places that maybe aren't friendly, places that we see as rivals. But if I, as a U.S. citizen, am able to connect with Chinese citizen or connect with the Venezuelan citizen and have a conversation. I feel like there's so much good that comes from that. And so I hope that, you know, moving forward, uh, the leaders of the countries are going to do what they do, say what they say. A lot of it's going to be rhetoric, a lot of grandstanding, etc. But I hope that all of us, when we have an opportunity, take the opportunity to connect with someone from one of these other countries, because that is the only way, in my opinion, that these rifts get mended. It's by having relationships with people. And so, I mean, that's really what I've taken away from it. I I think, again, the the guy wasn't good. The timing, you know, seems suspect, but, you know, we don't know all the intelligence stuff. But at the end of the day, none of us want to see this escalate any more than it has. And I think let's, you know, find ways to connect with some folks in other countries when we can and build those relationships so we can, you know, be better in the future. Yeah, it's 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 such a layered situation, right? Like, you know, one of the the painful things that I think um, is now the connection's been made over the last few days, but the that flight, the Ukrainian flight, that yeah. got shot down, um, and they're like, like literally just caught in the middle, right? You know, right? You know, and eighty, I think eighty two of the people that were on that plane were Iranian, so it's like, you know, to lose that many, you know, professionals from your own country that you know theoretically are bringing whether it's money, value, whether it's just being ambassadors of your culture to the world. They're now dead, um, as well as Canadians and Ukrainians, and then it's always tough to to look at that kind of stuff. I think the the move. There's a lot of things that I think Trump does. And this might be unpopular for me to say this, but a lot of things that he does that are unpopular, not conventional. That you're almost like, but sometimes when it happens, you're like, well, he's crazy enough to do it. The you know, in terms of taking out Soleimani, you know, it's what's interesting about that whole situation, and never anybody to root for violence or anything like that, but. It's almost such a crazy move in terms of how he did it. I don't know if he was briefing Congress till post and then gave him. Well, yeah, no, he did. He definitely didn't brief anybody until right. after the fact. And I think that's maybe my bigger concern here beyond um, violence. So right. there's there's this risk of escalated violence escalating, of going to war. Um, it's there. Um, I don't think it's as clear and present as maybe some people made it seem, you know, the day after it happened, but it's definitely there. There's a risk there. But I think the the bigger risk here is executive power growing. And the executive, no matter who the executive is, feeling like they are empowered to do things without Congress right. with and Congress is there representing the voice of the people without so doing it honestly without 
the people mm-hmm. without the people's input. And so uh, it's not something that's specific to Trump. You know, he's mm-hmm. certainly, you know, the latest person. But, you know, President Obama did a bunch of, mm-hmm. um, you know, ordered um, killings in Iraq. Um, and, you know, President Bush did it. Um, and even on something that is widely probably popular mm-hmm. and something that I, you know, support at least somewhat something like this like Elizabeth Warren right. a couple of days ago you know, tweeted out and said I will when if I'm elected president I will bypass Congress to um, give people um, to you know clear out student loan debt mm-hmm. uh, and so that's something I have some student loans <laughs> and I and I also like, I yeah and I and I also understand the economic power of freeing up that money so having it go to starting businesses or whatever instead of to Sally Mae. Uh, however, like the, the president should, the question is, should the president, any president have the power to completely bypass Congress to do something like that? And so I think the larger concern is executive authority. And are we getting used to having an executive that is powerful um, and that can potentially get things done quickly mm-hmm. versus a slower system that's more democratic and um, hopefully and, and, and more so the way that I think the founders intended it to be. So that's like my broader concern with it. Yeah. yeah. I feel that like it's, it's heartbreaking. Like I, that's why I disconnect myself so much. And just sitting with you guys and, and hearing your point of view has really enlightened me. And I also feel like just as, you know, what you can do within your community, what you were speaking about, just befriending someone like that for me, like on a high vibrational place can really feel that, can really receive that. Yeah. Because, like something everybody can do. Right. Yeah. Right. I feel like, I feel like that's where I would leave it for me. Mm-hmm. For me, I would nah, leave it there. Yeah. Awesome, y'all. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back <laughs> with y'all in a couple seconds. <laughs> Hey there, I'd like to tell you about this really great podcast creation app called Anchor. Anchor is literally the easiest way to make a podcast. Anchor gives you everything you need in one place for free, which you can use right from your phone or computer. Creation tools allow you to record and edit your podcast so it sounds great. And they'll distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard everywhere like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and many more. What's also great about Anchor is that you can easily make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. So what are you waiting for? Download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Awesome, y'all. Welcome back to the WYL Take Ownership Podcast. We're about to jump right into the idea of equity and entrepreneurship and why it's so important, especially in communities of color. I'm sitting with Two amazing entrepreneurs right now that do it in many different ways, from investing in companies to building them to TV shows, TV shows, right? So, what I want to do is I want to uh, I want you guys to kind of give a little background about what you guys do, like what not just like the general term, but like some of the things you guys do from day to day, so that the audience knows. And then I want to jump into a conversation around why that stuff is so important. Does that work? Ladies first. Thank you. Thank you. Um, So uh, most people know me as the NYC Food Muse. I'm a food photographer, food stylist. I also host food-related content. And um, I'm sure you've seen stuff on my feed. And on face value, it's like, you know, artistic, creative. But I would say that maybe 90... 
maybe like 99% of my clientele are women of color. Mm -hmm. They're the ones primarily hiring me mm -hmm. um, when nobody was, was building me up before I started working with major brands. Um, and they helped me to build my content so that I could get the, you know, the attention of these bigger brands. Mm -hmm. So within doing that, um, within my community, I also participate in a lot of like women's workshops and circles and, you know, working with other women entrepreneurs to answer questions so that we can fuel, you know, more women entrepreneurs, more people of color entrepreneurs. Um, in that realm is my way to kind of like give back and like put equity in my community mm -hmm. because I'm helping to build other women up. Um, in addition to doing food photography, I do consulting as well. So women who have not necessarily just women, but that just happens to be what's what comes to me. Sure. And I, and I love it because it's my community supporting me as I support them. So like just giving people like practical skills, like, you know what, maybe you can't afford to hire me right now, but I can show you some tips and tricks so that you can take some fire pictures with your phone at home, you know, to start building up your content the way you want to see it or just easy, like styling tips. Like that costs me nothing right. because I know that only I can do what I can do, but mm -hmm passing that knowledge on and just empowering someone else to be able to do it. Like I've had other, you know, bloggers hit me up and be like, yo, thanks for the little styling tips. Like it changed, you know, my photography. And dope, I'm like, oh, dope. that's what's up. And talk about your show a little bit. So I have a show on Amazon Prime called Let's Talk About It. I review different taco joints around New York City. Um, right now, we just have season one out. I've taken a pause to kind of work on some other projects. Um, 2019 was really crazy for me. I started to do, like, talent gigs as well. So that kind of took up a chunk of my time that and I wasn't expecting. With your daughter, you know what I'm saying? Okay. That, that wasn't my daughter. That was another oh. kid. That was another kid. <laughs> wasn't her daughter, she wasn't, she wasn't old enough. She wasn't old got enough you, for the role. But I got, like, a... a a little kid, another little daughter for the day. Um, it was really a funny experience. Yeah, yeah, it was fun. It was fun. I mean, that was my first time ever doing like a commercial or anything like that. And like being able to get like residual checks, which was amazing. Like for an entrepreneur, you know. Yeah. Cash flow. Listen, yeah. listen. That's so, real. yeah. <laughs> hey, that's love. That's love. How about you, Brandon? So you got to come down to El Camino, my favorite taco spot in okay. D.C., Gotta expand it outside of New York. I know there's a lot of places up here, but okay. next season, come down. Okay. Um, we can do we can do El Camino. Um, we can do El Chucho. Okay. Uh, yeah, those are the two best. There's ones, an El right? Cucho near here that's really good. Oh, really? Right. I gotta get like a little list. I gotta watch the yeah, show. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, I'm an entrepreneur and investor. Uh, our agency, uh, Values Partnerships. Uh, is a social impact agency. Uh, so we uh, help our partners connect with um, audiences of color and audiences of faith all around the world. Um, one of the clients in the entertainment space is ABC Shark Tank. And so I run a nationwide casting tour for the show focused on finding more diverse entrepreneurs, so finding more women, more people of color, people underrepresented in the VC space traditionally. So if you got something to pitch, Go to sharktankdiversitytour.com backslash pitch. Let me know what you're working on. And uh, quick, I got to hop in there. This dude helped us get on Shark Tank back in 2016. You know, we didn't deliver on our side. We were supposed to, you know, it didn't end up airing. But we did go out there and uh, give a valiant pitch. So, But that's not, you know, that's not always on the entrepreneur. A lot of the time, if you make it to airing, like you, you're, you're, you're on the right track. Um, it's just sometimes it's a production decision that has nothing to do with the business. And Barbara Barbara was our mentor for a bit, too. I was kind of oh, yeah? calling her. And I, so, hey, that is was, so yeah, dope. I love. met her mm -hmm. once. She is a gem. She, yeah, she has a warm heart. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I love Barbara. I feel like... 
her full personality doesn't always come out mm-hmm. it, it doesn't. On, yeah. on the show. Like she she has this kind of stern, you know, sometimes there'll be some like warm parts of it, um, but kind of comes off a little bit stern, but she is like always cracking jokes, super jovial. Super and just, real. Yeah, yeah. yeah and just, yeah. yeah, straight to the point. She's great. She's great. I, I love her. And I love that she not only, you know, continue to participate on the show, but um, invest in the entrepreneurs that she works with. So she, um, um, she's invested in, in some of my favorite companies for the show, which we can talk about later. But outside of Shark Tank, um, uh, we also have a mobile app company called Gage. So Gage is a mobile market research platform. So um, running the agency for several years, we kept getting asked to do market research. Um, or our clients, especially in the entertainment and tech space, would come to us and say, hey, we're thinking about this new project or this new product. What do you think? And while I appreciate having a seat at the table, I don't speak for the entire community. Sure, yeah, you know, yeah. one and two, it's incredibly risky for brands to be making decisions based off singular points of data, mm-hmm. no matter how good I think I am as a consultant. And so just thought with technology, there's got to be a better way to connect brands with consumers early on in the process of creating something. And so we created an algorithm that picks the best group of consumers, everyday people and influencers for brands to engage with when they're creating a new product, new content, making a big business decision. So everybody from the startup companies that I meet doing Shark Tank that are doing customer development or wanted to test their um, initial concept all the way up to brands like Procter & Gamble and NBC Universal that have used it to test big marketing campaigns, TV commercials, et cetera. So, so on the App Store, we reward consumers for sharing their feedback. So you can download it, Gage Research, check it out. Uh, and then uh, I, I do some investing as well. I'm working with startup companies, which I really enjoy. Dope, yeah. dope. So I got to ask you guys, you know, how did how did entrepreneurship become your calling? Like, How did you end up in this space? Because there, there's easy we talk about cash flow and, and, and residuals like there's easier ways to get money right um why entrepreneurship and and the ebbs and flows of what that looks like um i it, it i just fell into it mm-hmm. um i became a mom mm-hmm. and uh slowly realized i wasn't really spending time with my daughter as much as i'd like mm-hmm. um and so i i stood home to kind of like get my game plan together and in the midst of staying home and like just operating off of one income um, you know, I've just found myself cooking more naturally and I went to culinary school. So I had that background and I think there was just one day I was in the midst of like making some breakfast and it just looked so beautiful the way I had put it together. I was really proud of myself. And I was like, you know, everybody on Instagram, they're taking pictures of everything. Take pictures of this. <laughs> so I go and I take a picture of it and it just came out so good. I was shooting at my bar, my sister's Canon and it was like an, on an auto setting. I didn't even know what I was doing at the time. And I just took just a really nice photo. I had the shadow depth of feel. Like it was just, the lighting was perfect. And I sent it to my friend and she was like, Rosanna. She was like, this is for you. Like, People would pay money for like images like this. So I just taught myself, you know, how to do everything. Basically, styling came naturally. It was just something from within me of how I knew something should look or would look or, or how to put it together. Um, it yeah, it was it not an accident, but it was just something that I fell into and I really loved it. And then I just was able to continue. So with you talked about you know um, even having your daughter like that, how that was part motivation for it. Have you ever found yourself in the process of it? Just because money in the beginning can be, it comes and then it goes, right? Have you found yourself ever being like, yo, this this is dope, but I, I'm just about to quit this shit. Like, it's not, 
Like, Never to that extreme. Sure. I think there's been moments where I've kind of just been like, yo, I'm a parent. I really need to like, I need, I need to get it together. And it's yeah. not, but at, but at the same time, it's not that I didn't have it together. I think like my relationship to money was a little effed up. Okay. I think my relationship to money, I was just like looking at it like a means to an end and like not really finding the joy in what I was doing. Because I loved the work that I was doing, but then after a while I was so fixated on the money and I was like, wait a minute, I got to get back to the joy of it so that the money flows effortlessly so that I'm more aligned instead of having to hustle. Right, right. Um, so that involved me kind of branching out and doing other things like the show, um, you know, like doing talent, things like that, but I'm still focused on, like now I feel like instead of just taking gigs to take gigs, I'm able to be more selective. I'm able to be more concentrated in like the kind of clientele I have. Mm -hmm. Um, But there were definitely moments where I was like, what am I doing? I was borrowing money from people. I was like, you know, um, pinching pennies and like, you know, but in those moments, you find ways to ground yourself. You mm-hmm. find ways to get creative with your money. I'm like, all right, you know, and then you realize there were maybe things missing that you didn't know before. So, for example, like I had a website, but during a really like tough time financially, I realized, you know what, I didn't even have my services listed on my site. Like, duh, dummy, yeah, like get it together. Like you know, you notice little things that you just have to put a little effort into, a little alignment into, and just doing that creates the momentum. Like, boom, someone's like, oh, I'll buy that that package. I'll I'll take this. And I'm like, I was wasting time. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you you, you find ways to dig deep yeah. and, like, get creative with it. Mm-hmm. So I got to ask. So, you know, you being in more the tech space, right? Mm-hmm. And from an investor standpoint, from just you're constantly vetting companies. Um, I, I imagine on your side, from your company, do you have investors in the company? Or is it just is you building it? Right, right. Mm-hmm. So from, from that vantage point, you, you'd mentioned something about, how, you know, the idea of, just focusing on the the passion and the money will flow effortlessly, mm-hmm. um, versus you realize when you were focusing on the money how that was like it was you started getting into the hustle of it and you were no longer really enjoying the what you started it all for. Um, as someone looking at businesses the way you're looking at them, you know I find myself in I own a company called Who's Your Landlord, right? Like mm-hmm. social impact first, mm-hmm. right? Is is how the business has been created, mm-hmm. which has now created a lot of value for us. That is is then you're able to capitalize off of that, right, and generate revenue, mm-hmm. but. I know when pitching investors off of like I'm trying to focus on the passion of it and then the money will come. They weren't trying to hear that, right? Yeah. Like even though you know, in I think a lot of times people's heart of hearts and deep minds, mm-hmm. they realize that yeah, like Facebook wasn't really generating real revenue for the first seven to eight years before mm-hmm. it was like all right, we got the data, turn it on, right? Yeah. Um, but mind you, Facebook is a unicorn is very different, and we can we can't not acknowledge that. Mm-hmm. But like as an as an investor from this from the investment standpoint, how do you come to alignment with the entrepreneur on how much they need to be focusing on money, month over you know monthly recurring revenue, year over year revenue and growth, versus how much of it is like doing it from the heart. Oftentimes, of why they started. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, uh, quick question to both of you: What is the most profitable company ever on Shark Tank? Oof. I feel like it's gonna be like a sponge company. Was, yeah, like, I was thinking that. Uh, I was like, is it the, the really absorbent scrub towel? Daddy, scrub daddy. daddy. But no, it's a good guess. But no, okay. but no. One more guess. Hey, I was gonna say, let me get one more guess on that. One more guess. Um, let me. Who 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 made the investment? No, I can't. I can't. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm Damn, stuck. That oh. would have been it for me. <laughs> I don't know. So 
most profitable company in Shark Tank history, over $250 million in revenue since being on the show, is Bombas. Mm. And so Bombas is a sock company, um, mission-driven. They use that Tom Shoe model. Um, They actually give away two pairs of socks for every sock, for every one that they sell. Um, because the margins are so good for the business. I mean, they're, they're making socks. I mean, right. no matter how good the socks are, they're not they're only going to cost so much yeah. unless they're like, you know, gold thread or something. Uh, but Damon John mm-hmm. invested, and I think that's an example to me of the power of putting people of color in positions to vet companies, to invest. You give us an opportunity. Um, Damon isn't the richest shark, you know, by, by far he's not the he's not the richest shark, but if you look at the top 20 um, companies um, that are most profitable in Shark Tank history, he has the number one. And the top five are all either women or people of color. Man, he was so, on my episode, man. I was mad. I was like, it's my brother. <laughs> yeah, so it's, uh, it's Damon, um, Lori Grenier, and Barbara Corcoran. They have the top five. And Lori Grenier, she has like 12 of the top 20. Like she's, she's doing her thing. And it's not just the QVC thing with her. It is she hustles and has created these. You go to like Home Depot, Office Max. There's a Lori Grenier in cap that has like five or six Lori Grenier businesses where you can buy them all at the same time. He's figured out this distribution thing for our companies um, in a really unique way, and, and it and it shows because she's again not the the richest you know by far, but you look at impact and return, which an investor is looking for. Um, she's been able. She always says, "I make millionaires," and she does. Uh, so, but um, the point I'm making is, Damon John says, "Mission-driven businesses are the future of business." Mm-hmm. And whenever we're going around doing casting for Shark Tank, this isn't just something for me because I'm looking for entrepreneurs of color. This is coming from the head of casting for the show and the entire the producers on the show. They say, we're looking for passionate entrepreneurs. Yeah. And so passion can come out in two ways. It can come out and people come on the show, you know, they do backflips and cartwheels and breathe fire and bring live llamas on that poop and all that kind of stuff. Um, that can show passion, but passion can also, but that's not everybody's personality. Right. You know, passion can also be, man, I'm really, passionate about empowering renters right. uh, with the knowledge they need, with the information they need to make the best decisions right. and, and, and to be a good advocate for them. Passion can be, hey, I grew up having this problem. Um, I've studied it and now I've come up with a solution and I'm passionate about delivering that solution and taking advantage of the market opportunity. Mm-hmm. So I think whatever the passion is, you've got to have that passion to get you through some of the ups and downs that you described as an entrepreneur, because yeah, um, once you start getting um, cash flow in, and, you, and there's some kind of path to profit, profitability, um, you see a light at the end of the tunnel. But it's that passion that you have um, that's going to continue to make you creative. It's that passion that you have that's going to continue to drive you as an entrepreneur. And so, yeah, you want to have a path to profitability and you need to be able to articulate if I or if anyone invests in your company, um, this is what we're going to be able to return in terms of revenue in the next, you know, 18, 24 months. However, um, just if you're, if you're actually on a venture track, which is something we talk about, if you're actually on a venture track, you're, you're going to be in the red for a while right. and, and you, you need the injection of capital to be able to scale, to be able to get into the black. So, um, you don't worry about that as much. Now, if you're not on a venture track and you're building, you know, more of a lifestyle business, uh, et cetera, which nothing wrong with that at all, um, then your um, 
the, no, the amount of runway that you have before you need to be profitable is going to be shorter just because you're not built to absorb capital right, like that right. and scale like that. So you need to, that needs to be a shorter horizon. But if you're on a venture track, um, there's going to be a time where you're focused on building the product, acquiring customers, uh, and then, you know, getting to that point, hopefully, um, with your team of, you know, being profitable, um, use, using investors' dollars to do it. But um, never, you know, say, you know, to entrepreneurs, um, you shouldn't be passionate or you shouldn't be mission-driven or you shouldn't have some kind of positive impact on community because um, there are plenty of examples of companies that have been able to do that successfully. I mean, even Facebook, they say they want to connect, connecting the people. World, um, and, and, and that's mission-driven, um, you know, in, in, the, in the truest sense. Yeah. yeah. I also feel like the way we're consuming is different now. You know what I mean? With the uprise of activism and more people, like, waking up and becoming aware mm -hmm. of the times that we live in, like, they're being more conscious about how they're spending that money. Yeah. And they're wanting to invest in, like, you know, maybe a mom-and-pop place mm -hmm. or, like, you know, people who... I guess you could say shop my services or like work mm -hmm. with me. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm grateful that I show that gratitude. There's a different exchange there mm -hmm. too, as opposed mm -hmm. to, you know, just hiring like the biggest, the best or the most well-known. Well, you are the best. They are hiring the best. Right. Well, yeah. That's true. That's true. Maybe that's not the true. biggest, but they're yeah. hiring the best. They are hiring yeah. the best. Yeah. And so, right. you know, the, right. the, the, the challenge for you is how do you maintain a relationship that you're comfortable with, how do you maintain that relationship as you continue to scale and grow your business over time? I think that's the question that everybody runs into. Um, and the businesses that I think we see are really successful are able to maintain that relationship, whatever that relationship is with their customer, they're able to maintain it as they scale, um, which again is, is not an easy thing to do, but is uh, it's worth investing your time and, and effort into doing, yeah. Well, well, two things, right? Like, you know, one is you brought up earlier the idea of your relationship to money and how that's changed. Um, you know, I know when it comes to, and the reason why I point that out is because I think in a lot of communities of color, there's trauma around money and how it either is historically in our families, how it's utilized, how it's not utilized. Um, and so I think about Shea Moister, Mitchell Lou Dennis, and when they, you know, they promoted a, a white woman on, you know, one of the commercials, which actually it was a bigger commercial that had other people of color on it. But, you know, when they chopped it down for social media, that this one frame was this white woman on it and everyone went crazy and said, you you know, how do you turn on your community, the people that built you to this level and allowed you to sell for, you know, all this money. And it was like, it was such an interesting moment. I got to see him talk about it. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's interesting because you know, why aren't our businesses usually allowed to to scale and gain more market share outside of just, you know, people of color? Like, they should yeah. be allowed to to capitalize on markets. Like, we don't get mad when McDonald's has a black family in the commercial. We go, oh, good for McDonald's. It's about time, right? <laughs> so, like, why, why don't we have that same love for, like, when a black-run company, you know, does promote other colors? Like, what is, what is, what is that? How do we change that? Because I think, I think, I'm I'm in the middle on what you said, right? In terms of like, um, you know, you you're, you're seeing it with your business where people of color or women of color are paying for your services. I, I think that there's a, a mindset and thought that we're becoming more aware, more woke, if you will, which I can't stand because I, I think woke is like woke is being able to I think see there's issues and say there's issues. I think now it's what it should really be is I can see there's issues, I can I can touch them. How am I going to fix them, or who, what questions I'm gonna am I gonna ask to get to the bottom of how we fix them? And I think that second part is not is not attached to people's thoughts. The action part isn't. So 
what what does that look like going forward? Like, how are you thinking about scaling your business to other consumers beyond just the ninety nine percent right now that are women of well, color? Or do you well, want to? No, and and I, but I, I have to some degree. I mean, mm-hmm. working with these brands, you know, they're essentially paying me to post. They're paying me to style mm-hmm. things and post. So like, I have both. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I, the reason why I highlight the women of color businesses is because I feel like I'm, you know getting in touch with them at a very like integral part in their business Mm -hmm. where like you know they have this product or service or whatever it is that they have at a very like in its infancy and I get to come in and kind of like visualize it differently and show them their product in a new way which inspires them which creates more which creates more content for them which you know, gets them going and seeing their products in a different way. Um, but at the same time, like, you know, I've worked with Kraft, I've worked with Lipton, I've worked with like, you know, Red Lobster. And, you know, a lot of that is like influencer work or they're paying me to create content for them. Um, and I don't, I don't feel bad about it. Like I'm, I'm, I'm making my money. Right. McDonald's, McDonald's, McDonald's paid for Bali. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, (laughs) um, and and I love it. I love it because I know I'm I know I'm doing what I can within my community, and I know that I'll ha- I'll have more opportunities with more you know uh, financial backing behind it, and I can make more change. So I feel like as I'm getting up higher in the ladder, I'm gonna do more right. and more and more. So I don't feel bad at all. I need to I need to provide. Right. <laughs> you know. I, I think something that would change the perspective and thinking about the Shea Moisture example with, with the white woman and, and asking, you know, why can't our businesses expand and, and serve other customers? I mean, they're going to generate revenue and eventually it's going to be good for the business. I think it's because very often the businesses in our communities are privately held. Um, they're not IPOing for one reason or another. Sometimes that's a good thing. Sometimes it's, you know, it's sometimes it's not, but we don't have an opportunity to invest. We don't have any ownership in those in those companies. And so I think if people on social media had the opportunity to have a piece of Shea Moisture, mm-hmm. and I'm not, you know, telling Rich Dennis what to do with his company or whatever yeah. at all, but I'm just saying if, if if people in our community had an opportunity to have a piece of that company, then as an owner, you're thinking about how can this company increase its revenue? Yeah. How can this company do better? And if doing better means we have products for everybody, for every type of hair, mm-hmm. for every skin tone, then do that because at the end of the day, my investment is going to be worth more um, with more people buying it versus um, less people buying it. And you know, because of accreditation standards, which you're you know aware of in, in the country, uh, most of our community can't invest in can you, companies. Can you break that down for folks at home? Yeah. 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 So I, I, I don't know. Maybe if you've, maybe have you ever heard somebody say, talking about Facebook earlier, and I, I wish I knew Mark Zuckerberg back in the day because I would have invested in Facebook and now I'd be rich. Or I wish I knew Steve Jobs back or in Amazon, the day. Amazon. Yeah. 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 I, yeah, I would. I would have invested in their companies and now I'd be rich. And the reality is, yeah, you would have. Even if you invested a hundred dollars in a Facebook back then. Um, you'd be doing pretty well right now. Um, but the reality is, even if you did know them, most people couldn't invest because they're not accredited investors. Yeah. So the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, it's the 
U.S. government agency responsible for regulating the capital markets, so rep- regulating the flow of money in the United States, regulating that part of the economy. Um, they set standards on who can invest and who cannot invest in a company before it's listed on a stock exchange. And I'm not talking about you going to Robinhood and buying a stock. I'm talking about you investing in a private company and right. a startup company before it's listed on the stock exchange because that's where most of the value was created. Mm-hmm. And so uh, in 2020, to be an accredited investor, you have to be making $200,000 in consecutive years as a, as a single person, $300,000 in consecutive years as a couple, or have a net worth over a million dollars, not including your primary place of residence. So that is an incredibly small amount of U.S. households that qualify on an annual basis. I mean, it's anywhere 5 to 7% of U.S. households that qualify. Out of that 5 to 7%, maybe only you know, 25% of those households are actually actively investing on a regular basis. And so have you ever seen um, that movie Devil Wears, Devil Wears Prada? I, I had a long time ago. So... Yeah. At, there's a point in the movie where the assistant, uh, Anne Hathaway, um, she comes in with this sweater and she says it's just a blue sweater. But then Miranda turns around and says, um, no, this is a cerulean sweater. And then she goes through this history. Five years ago, Yves Saint Laurent had um, cerulean military jackets on the runways in Paris, etc. And she says, five years ago, um, this incredible designer picked cerulean as the color and you eventually found it in tj maxx and now it doesn't mean anything to you and so you think you don't care you think what you wear doesn't matter but somebody picked what you're wearing five years ago and the same principle applies to the products and services that we use so those accredited investors are investing in the products and services of the future they're investing in what's going to be in amazon they're investing in what's going to be in target and so um because we don't have a lot of people making 200k in consecutive years, we don't have a lot of people net worth over a million dollars in you know black and Latinx um, households. Um, it means that we don't have accredited investors, and it means that we don't get an opportunity to participate in that upside. Now, startup companies are a risky asset class, and so any investment you could potentially lose money, but as just a human being on a on a basic philosophical level, I feel like if I earn money, I should be able to use it the way I want to. And, you know, you don't the, the reason ostensibly the reason that the standards are there is because the SEC will say, well, we don't want people losing their shirts, you know, making risky investments. But um, it's my belief that you should be able to do something in that space. Now, we have crowdfunding, equity crowdfunding. Thanks to President Obama. Everybody say thanks, Obama. Um and so he, he signed that into law, the, the Jobs Act, back in 2012. And now we have crowdfunding platforms like StartEngine and Republic and others where you can, in a limited way, invest in startup companies pre-IPO. But I think in the next couple of years, we're going to see an expansion of that accredited investor definition because the binary application and also the assumption that just because you have more money or you make more money that you're better with money. money it's just, it's just, yeah. I mean, you look at the people that got taken advantage of by Bernie Madoff, like all of them were not just millionaires. They were all multimillionaires. I mean, there were people with $50 million in the bank, like begging to get into his fund, but couldn't because it's a combination of money plus the, the right relationships. And so, um, I would love to see a, a, a significant change in the accredited investor definition, because that's going to open up 
our opportunity to invest in our companies. You know, Nielsen comes out with this um, uh, report every year talking about black buying power, Latinx buying power, and uh, it doesn't really mean a whole lot if we just buy in Nikes or something, but if it's power to invest in our companies, Mm -hmm. if it's everybody being an investor and being able to fund who's your landlord, to be able to fund your business as you scale, to be able to fund Gage potentially as we continue to grow, then that actually means something. And so something I'd like to see in the future, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I, you know, I kind of put a pin on that, you know, for us, we did an online equity crowdfund campaign too. And that was very powerful because it was, it was all that acknowledge it was hard in the beginning because I think we had to teach people on two kind of points. One was what does our business even do and why you should invest in it. Um, the second thing was we had to tell people how, you know, online equity crowdfunding even works because, you know, the, the Jobs Act, you, you're explaining out what that means, you're explaining that accredited investors are the only ones that can invest, but now it's changed and now it's... Which sounds completely that. foreign to most people. Right, exactly. Most people think I can't invest in Facebook because I just don't have extra money, like I don't right. have extra cash, but the reality is... You have cash. You're legally barred from doing it unless you go through a crowdfunding platform at this point. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, I know we got about like 30 seconds left. Um, Quick takes. Where can people find you online? How can people connect with you? Uh, NYCfoodmuse.com on Instagram at NYCfoodmuse. Dope, dope. Brandon, how about you? Yeah, IG is at YesBrandon. And you can hit me at uh, BrandonAndrews.me online, uh, my website. Awesome, y'all. I appreciate you guys joining me. Again, that's a Take Ownership podcast, taking ownership of your mental, your economics, and your community. Till next time, peace.